And we're back tonight in the Gospel of John, and we're talking further about the Spirit, the Spirit as a gift sent from Jesus. The Father sent the Son on his mission, and the Son now discusses that he will send the Helper, the Holy Spirit. And I know that this passage will be encouraging for us, and I think it's a good way to to end the day and reminding us of these encouraging truths that um, the Holy Spirit is with us and helping us and many other gifts that Jesus has given to us. I will have to point out one thing, though, that might be a little confusing. I don't think I've ever done this before, but in the um, shifting of the schedule today and um, rearranging the topics that I was going to discuss, because obviously in the morning, normally we have our worship series And I just felt like it was better to have everybody here in-house to discuss worship uh, rather than remote. So I chose to do the Gospel of John and work through that today. And then realized at some point this morning that the passage that we were doing, we were looking at on Jesus as the true vine. I'd actually skipped um, another passage that we needed to cover first. I got my outlines rearranged. So what we're going to do is we're actually going to backtrack tonight because I can't just skip over a passage in John. It'll drive me crazy. And also there's so much wonderful hope and encouragement in this passage. I think in some ways, obviously the Lord intended this and it won't, it won't mess with the continuity of things uh, very much to go back. John 14, beginning at verse 25. I think this is going to be a great way to end the day and, and to start our week with these scriptural truths of Jesus' love and the gifts that he would provide his followers to enable them to minister effectively and to deal with their own fears and troubles. Really, I think this is going to be a good way to start our week with you meditating on these truths, even as we head into the normal week tomorrow. So starting at verse 25, Jesus, we've mentioned many times now that the disciples are troubled about the news of Jesus leaving them and what's going to be happening in his immediate future. And so Jesus is encouraging them If you remember the last truth in this passage that we talked about last week, that Jesus gave them, stated the remarkable truth that not only was he going to prepare a place for his followers, but that soon he would actually make a dwelling place, a home for himself within them. Now, that had to be astonishing to these men and amazing. They're worried about his departure and lack of presence with them. And Jesus then says, oh, I'll be with you. I'll actually make, I will indwell you and dwell within each of you personally. And ultimately, he's referring to the work of the Spirit, that the Spirit would give us that sense of Jesus' presence, his dwelling within us. Then, of course, we also had this morning that picture of Jesus abiding in us and and we in him. And so then after that remarkable statement, 
he follows up with a reminder at the same time that true disciples will keep Jesus' words. They will be obedient to him in their following after him. And their te- his teaching, excuse me, especially in this moment in the upper room, all these things that he is telling them that are so important to his followers. And all of these men are true followers. They're true disciples. Judas has left at this point. And his teaching must be vital and important to them. True disciples um, treat God's word with reverence and importance. God's words, for those of us that follow him, are are life-sustaining. We sense that need within us for God's word. And that's an indication that we are a true believer, a true disciple of Jesus. And Jesus now in these few verses, 25 through 31, says, I do need to depart. That is true. But I'm going to give you wonderful gifts that will be an incredible encouragement to you. And we're going to see what these gifts are. Jesus' gifts of peace and joy. We could also add some other things in here as well. Um, Many times when I go on a trip, Uh, for a number of days, and it involves a flight somewhere. I have a pastor's fellowship that I enjoy going to that's um, near the south of Tampa, and I've enjoyed uh, attending there numerous times, Uh, especially when my boys were younger. There was the expectation that I would bring something home, something that represented the trip. Um, Now, when they were younger, that was a little easier to do. Now that they're older, the things that excite them tend to be a little bit more expensive. So it gets more and more challenging. And uh, I sometimes check with my wife. I'm like, you know, this this trip wasn't that long. Do we really need to do a gift? And she'll let me know one way or another. But this last fellowship that I went to in Florida, um, I had flown into Orlando, the Orlando airport. And I realized at the end, as I was getting back and waiting for my flight that I had not picked something up. And I thought, well, you know, I probably, I probably ought to do that. There may be that expectation, but I really, in the Orlando airport, it's basically Disney things everywhere or things about um, uh, Bush gardens or universal studios or whatever, none of the places that I had visited. So I was trying to figure out what in the, what would be a good gift that would match what I had done. It was a pastor's fellowship. There really wasn't any good options and everything was expensive. And so as I looked, I was in a particular gift shop and I did find some Disney um, themed jelly belly bags of jelly belly beans. I thought, well, this may not be the most meaningful gift that I've ever come up with for them, but I think they'll at least be excited about it. It's jelly beans, it's food, they'll be okay. And I at that point, I knew I was in the Orlando airport. I didn't even really look at the price tag because I didn't want to know how much it was going to cost. And I bought those bags, brought them home, and the boys were kind. Uh, they were happy about those. They wanted more than, than just a couple bags I'd given them, but they were excited enough about those. But it was just one of those times where I just felt like on a trip, uh, the gift really wasn't that impressive. It was kind of a failed situation. Well, in opposite to that failure on my part in gift giving, folks, Jesus is going to point out 
that his, his gift giving never fails, that it is always appropriate and it is always needful. And Jesus, let's just have this out there at the beginning. Jesus is the best gift giver. Whatever, whatever the most wonderful gift is that you've ever received or Christmas or your birthday or whatever from your kids, from your family, Jesus and his gifts, gifts outshines them all. And he's going to be showing, giving hope to his disciples that he will return and he will have things to give them that will be of utmost importance and meaning. And so in these first couple of verses, 25 to 27, the gifts that Jesus will discuss is Jesus gives us understanding and he gives us peace. Specifically, his spirit will bring further understanding. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus says, in verse 25, again, another reminder to them that these things that he is speaking to them and teaching them are limited. Then think about as Jesus is teaching and the disciples are enjoying this personable, audible teaching from Jesus. I'm sure they were just eating it up. I'm sure it was a wonderful time. But Jesus continues to remind them that this would not last. He says, while I'm still with you. There will be a time when this teaching will end, and I will not be with you for a while. And so certainly they still had to be troubled by that. And then there comes a question. All these important things that Jesus is relaying to them in the Last Supper, are they going to be able to remember them all? Now, when you and I have important meetings and then we're in the midst of important conversations, and we understand, you know, there are things being said here that I really need to remember that are really helpful, that are important. And so we have the opportunities in so many ways now to um, track those things, to even text them, enter them in our phone, or to write them down on notebook paper. And that's a common practice thing as, as, we're, we're, as vital information is being relayed to us, somehow we take notes and mark that. But if you think about it, none of the disciples had that ability. They didn't have pens and things to write, even if they were going to try to write something down on their hand. There wasn't paper available. And Jesus is giving them a lot of teaching here. Now, if, if you, you, all of us understand this scenario. We're hearing important things, but we're wondering, and with, with the capability that we have, I'm sure many of you are like me, I really have to work hard at remembering things, at retaining things. And when something is really important, I have to work extra hard because it just seems like something else will come in. And what was in my head at that moment just slips right out the other ear while the other information's coming in. I'm just like, oh, it's frustrating. So these disciples, as Jesus is relaying these important things, he's saying, these are things I'm teaching you, and then I'm going to go. I'm sure they thought, how are we going to remember all this? And they're asking him questions. Well, Jesus has the answer to that. He says, I'm going to send you a helper, 
In the King James, it's called referred to as the comforter. Remember, this word is the paraclete. In many modern translations, he's referred to as the helper. That word helper is appropriate, but it's a little too general. It's a little too broad for all that the paraclete will do for us. As God is sending him as a gift, he will do much to help us to remember the truths and, re- and help his Jesus' disciples remember the truths that he is giving them. And here for the first time in verse 26, this paraclete, Jesus now refers to him as the name that you and I know well, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Jesus refers to the Spirit as holy, emphasizing a very, very important characteristic of this Spirit, God's Spirit that will be sent, and that is that he has the unique characteristic of holiness, of uniqueness, of purity, of glory, of one that is set distinct from all others. The Spirit of God has that same characteristic that God the Father and that Jesus has. And here is another indication that the Spirit is also God. The Trinity in display here. He is holy. He is unique. He is untainted by sin in any way. And it was important to Mark as Jesus is talking with these men that this spirit that he will send, this person, and he is a person in his description here. He's going to be referred to as one that will teach, as a person that will teach. They need to know that this person is holy, and he will be sent. The Father will send him in the name of Jesus. That again, that picture that Jesus will send this spirit, the Holy Spirit, to his disciples, to his followers. And what will he do? He will teach you all things. There we have the answer to how they're going to remember all these important truths that Jesus is giving to them. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus will give his spirit who will bring further understanding. And the spirit then will remind these disciples of all that Jesus has been teaching them. And he'll even provide, furthermore, as it says there, he will teach you all things. That has the idea of providing an even fuller explanation of what Jesus is teaching to them to give them a fuller understanding of God's word. And Jesus, in his grace and mercy, will provide this for these men. Just as an aside, how do we know that these men received the Spirit? Well, we have the evidence of the entire New Testament, don't we? As an example, we know that the Holy Spirit was sent to these men to remind them of the truths of Jesus Christ and to give them even a fuller explanation. And all of that is recorded for us in the New Testament. The Spirit did come just as Jesus had promised. He did help them. He was the paraclete that was everything that they needed to understand Jesus' teachings 
and then to proclaim his teaching and also write down his teaching through the power of the Spirit. And we have the New Testament as a result of this gift that Jesus sent to his followers, his disciples. We can trust when Jesus says that he's going to give us something, we can trust that he is going to do just that. Now, this promise specifically was for these disciples. The Holy Spirit did accomplish that. But folks, at the same time, we can look at this and apply this to our lives. Now, God is obviously not going to work in a way that's going to allow us to write scripture. That's not what I'm saying. But we do have the Holy Spirit within us to help us understand the truths that these men, that the apostles and others wrote down through the power of the Holy Spirit. And and the Holy Spirit, in essence, powerfully helps us, gives us further understanding of God's word, helps us, gives us insight, illumination into the truths that Jesus has laid before us in his word. And he helps us to remember those truths. We were just talking, giving testimony about the opportunities that God has given us in this community. And even with Rick and this opportunity he's talking about. And it has amazed me how the Lord continues to just bring up truth as Leslie and I are dealing with Christine and and Rick, with others, the Holy Spirit brings up the truths that we have learned and helps us impart those to others. That's all the work of the Spirit. Jesus gave a gift that would enable us for further ministry and would infinitely help us to understand his word. Aren't you glad that God just didn't give us his word and just say, figure it out, kind of like one of those manuals that you get when you buy an expensive uh, appliance, and you either have to put it together, or you have to, you have a, you, they, they toss in this huge hundred-page manual of things that you have to learn, and it's just kind of like, uh, you know, do the best you can. If you have a bunch of parts left over, well, as long as it works, I guess everything went okay. God doesn't do that. He doesn't give us a manual and then not help us understand it, but he gives us the Holy Spirit to give us further understanding. Folks, don't um, make light of that truth, even throughout your week this week. As you're studying God's word, thank him for the Spirit's understanding. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand the passages that you're reading every day in your personal time with the Lord. Ask for understanding. Ask for wisdom and how to apply those. The Spirit marvelously provides all of that. And he is the best friend that we can have. Jesus gives us the gift of his spirit, further understanding. But also, Jesus promises that he will give us the gift of peace. Verse 27, one of these well-loved passages, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus now imparts to his disciples a wonderfully great hope. This word peace was a word that the Jewish people used to greet when they saw each other. And also as a farewell, as they departed from each other, they would use this Hebrew word for peace, shalom. You've probably heard of it many times. And it wasn't just, hey, I hope things go well for you today. 
or, you know, I hope just as the world thinks of peace, this shallow, narrow definition, I, I hope you get some peace today, whatever that means to you. The Jewish idea and the biblical idea of peace reflected full physical and spiritual well-being. And so when you were saying peace, may you have peace to another person, you were saying, may you have well-being in all of your person, your spiritual and your physical person, may you do well. That is a wonderful wish for peace. And the Jewish people were sincere in wanting that. The problem was they rejected God. And in the Old Testament, in fact, in Jeremiah chapter 6, I'll read to you verses 13 through 15. It became apparent because of their rejection of God that they were not experiencing this peace that God had offered them. Jeremiah 6, 13 through 15 starts, For from the least of the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They're all doing wrong. The leadership all the way down to the people. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. They desired peace, but they rejected God. And they were not experiencing real peace at all. Um. That was true in Old Testament times. That was true in New Testament times. People sought peace, but yet their experience of it was not what Jesus was offering, certainly. And folks, would you not agree today that the world seeks after peace and does not have a way to obtain it, is not in any sense of the word able to to obtain the peace that the world seeks after today? Throughout all of time, peace has been desired, and yet it's not obtained. One uh, commentator, D.A. Carson, said this about um, the Roman peace that the Romans had acquired for the people. The Pax Romana, which means Roman peace, was won and maintained by a brutal sword. Not a few Jews thought the Messianic peace would have to be secured by still a mightier sword. Instead, it was secured by an innocent man, that's Jesus, who suffered and died at the hands of the Romans, of the Jews, and all of us. And by his death, he effected for his own followers peace with God. And therefore, the peace of God, remember Philippians, which transcends all understanding. The world desires peace and cannot obtain it. And the world, really, the definition of peace is so shallow for the world. What is that today? It's a negative absence of chaos. Just remove my chaos in my life, Lord. Remove, remove war from, from our world today. If there just would be no more fighting, there'd be peace. Or removal of my political rivals. If my political party could just win, we'd have p- peace in this country. Be able to have some, some right things happen. Or maybe, uh, Lord, I want peace from stressful situations and people. Just remove those things out of my life so I can have peace. Removal of noise and arguments. Oh, I just, just want a little bit of peace. No more arguing. No more noise. A very narrow view, shallow view of peace indeed. What does Jesus offer? 
peace with God, spiritual and physical well-being. Jesus offers peace, this well-being, folks, in the midst of all of those earthly struggles that we just mentioned. He doesn't take us out of them necessarily, but he provides for us that sense of peace, that inward peace uh, and well-being in the midst of all of these challenges that we face in our world today and in our personal lives. It's not, I only have peace if they're removed, but Jesus says, peace, I leave with you. That's his farewell departure. He says, I'm going to give you a peace that will last, that will help you through all the difficulties of life. My peace I give to you. This is his gift to his followers. It's not at all as the world gives unto you. The world seeks after peace and cannot provide it. Remember even the peace movement in the 60s and There was that song in that banner, just give peace a chance. Well, they tried and they failed. And nobody, in fact, things got more chaotic and um, disheveled in that period. And it continues on. The world has no ability to give peace. But Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. The peace that I will give will strengthen you. It will help you. It will give you well-being. So is this a promise just for Jesus' disciples in the upper room? No, folks, it's for us too. (laughs) Don't we need peace today? Don't we want spiritual well-being? Don't we? We know that the Lord isn't necessarily going to remove us from all the troubles. Sometimes he might. Sometimes he might let those uh, continue. Remember we talked about this morning about the pruning He's pruning through situations, removing sinful situations from us, helping us, purifying us. But he gives us an inner sense of peace that brings us through. Wonderful experience. And this is a gift that only Jesus can give. The world has no idea. One of the main things the world seeks after that it will never have, and they could have it through a relationship with Jesus Christ, Are you taking advantage of the peace that Jesus offers through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you submitted to the Spirit? Are you submitted to his word? Are you following after his wisdom so that no matter what the trial, you know that you're doing what Jesus wants you to do and that his presence is with you? What a beautiful, wonderful gift. But that's not all. Jesus continues in the next few verses and says, I'm going to provide joy as well and a loving example. And Jesus' mission, the mission that the Father has sent him on, will provide his followers joy. And now he has to gently address and give admonishment to the disciples because they're having at this moment kind of a self-centered focus. And it's obvious that they're fixated on Jesus' revelation of his departure. It's all they can think about. And it's for selfishly motivated reasons. They're only thinking of their own sorrows. And they're not thinking of all of what's going to please God. And Jesus is going to have to admonish them for that gently, as he does. Let's see verse 28. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. Jesus is saying, I just said this. I know it's troubling. But here's another perspective, disciples. If you loved me, this wouldn't have troubled you. This wouldn't have brought you sorrow. You would have rejoiced 
because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. They're, they've lost the ability to reflect on what would please God. And Jesus is saying here, if you'd be more focused on me and on my teaching, you would have understood more clearly my mission, the mission that God has sent me on. Ultimately, what is that? He will soon die on a cross for our sins. He'll be resurrected, conquering death and hell, and as we'll see here, Satan himself. And he will be ascended, and he will be with his father once more. And if they were more focused on what he was saying rather than, woe is me, what are we going to do without Jesus? I don't know how I'm going to handle things. They would have actually rejoiced in the fact that Jesus was on a mission from the Father and that it was guaranteed successful. Now, it's hard to kind of think of rejoicing over someone's death and certainly the awful death that Jesus had on the cross. And this isn't referring to a happy, smile-on-your-face um, celebration type of, of joy, but realizing that the death of the Messiah and what it would bring, and that it would provide for them new life, cleansing of sin, and the opportunity to be helped by the Holy Spirit, and so much more, if they had been really focused on the things that please God, on the things that Jesus was trying to communicate to them, they would have had joy in their hearts instead of selfish sorrow. And yet, in the midst of this, Jesus says this interesting phrase here that has been misunderstood many times throughout church history, because I am going to the Father. That's why you should be rejoicing, for the Father is greater than I. Well, wait a minute. We have to be careful here. How can we explain the Father to be greater than the Son without sliding into heresy? Because as God, the Father and the Son, let's understand here, are equal. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're equally God. So how can the Father be greater? And some have steered into heresy by saying that God is more God than Jesus and that Jesus is saying that here. No, he's not saying that at all. But Jesus is talking, is referring to here from eternity past, he has subordinated himself to the Father as the Son in submission to the Father. And that means that he goes where the Father sends him and he obeys all of his Father's commands. And that's what he's portraying when he says, my Father is greater than I. Well, one other aspect of this as well, and that is when he says he's going to the Father, I think John is pointing this out too. That when he leaves the earth and he returns to the heavenly dwelling in the place of God to sit on the right hand of his throne, to return to that greater position of power will be greater than where he is now. And the whole point is Jesus is saying great things are about to happen for you and for me. And really, if you understood these things the way that you should, you'd be rejoicing. But isn't in the same time Jesus admonishes his disciples, he provides them a solution. And verse 29, now have I told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. Here's the wonderful thing. Jesus says, you're struggling with selfishness right now, but that will not always be the case. Disciples, Peter, John, and the others, you won't always be this self-focused. 
But once these events take place, my death, my resurrection, my ascension, you will, through the power of the helper, the Holy Spirit, see through spiritual eyes the glories of the successful mission of the Son. And you will, you will experience true joy and peace and love, we could add, as well. And he's saying, what I'm teaching you right now, you, you don't even understand, but it will have benefits for you later that will be revealed in time through the power of the Spirit. Yes, Jesus has to leave, but he never leaves without his presence. And his gifts are ultimately so helpful for us. And finally, as we finish up here in verse 30 and 31, Jesus sacrificed His mission will provide his followers joy and his sacrifice will reveal to all his love and specifically his love for the father. Verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you. I'm getting ready to leave. I have an appointment for the ruler of this world is coming. Jesus doesn't have much time left. He's literally saying here, we could put it this way in our modern vernacular. He's getting ready for the cosmic, all-important showdown of all time against the ruler of this world, Satan himself. Those of you that like to watch old Westerns and the showdown at the OK Corral in the town and where one guy says, partner, there's not room in this town for the both of us or even wrestling or boxing matches there's always that nervous tension about who's gonna win is a good guy gonna win in the end is is the guy that i'm rooting for gonna work win in the end in this match in this showdown between two individuals jesus makes it clear here we don't have to be nervous about that i mean literally this battle that he's talking about the outcome hangs the renewal of fallen creation And Jesus lets us know clearly who's going to win. He says at the end of verse 30, Satan, the ruler, has no claim on me. This was a Hebrew idiom to point out legally that another person didn't have a claim or an advantage over someone. And Jesus says, this ruler has no advantage over me. Why? Because I am not of this world and I've never sinned. And so Jesus is saying here, my triumph is fully assured. And you don't have to doubt that. Yes, I'm about ready to meet the ruler of this world. And I'm going to be the victor. He has no hold on me. No sin can hold me back. I'm not from this earth. I'm from the heavenly places. I will be victorious. And when I'm victorious... I will obey my father. Verse 31, I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the father. Jesus is saying here that in this defeat of this all-powerful ruler of Satan himself, this will literally just be a byproduct of his obedience to the father. He will obey the father and that will show the world and here. In most personal terms, Jesus says more clearly than ever how much he loves the Father. He states this, I love my Father. The love between the persons of the Trinity here is expressed. And he says, I show it through my obedience to the Father. 
Wouldn't it be wonderful if we just had an ounce of that kind of love for our Heavenly Father and for Jesus and that obedience? Well, we can. Jesus provides the help. He's provided his Holy Spirit. He's provided understanding of his word. He provides a spiritual well-being. He provides us joy that in some of the greatest difficulties that we face, we can know that God has a purpose for them. If God has a purpose for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, then God has a purpose for all of the things that we face. And we can then show our love in response and gratitude to him for all that he's done by obeying him. Jesus gives us the gifts necessary to be able to do that. Then notice here at the end, he says, rise, let us go from here. And it's almost as if really Jesus is saying, men, it's time. It's time for the showdown. It's time for me to meet Satan. It's time for me to conclude, to um, successfully um, finish the mission that my father has called me to. And he actually goes to meet the opponent, the enemy knowing that he's going to be victorious. What this also means, as a side note, is probably at this time they were leaving the upper room after this, and the continued conversation he has with them, even what we saw this morning about the the vine, Jesus being the vine, is probably him talking to them on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. But Jesus is not fearful of this showdown because he knows he will be the victor. So folks, whatever things you're fearful of tonight that are troubling you, remember that the gifts that Jesus offers are superior to what we face. Go into this week armed for whatever we face with the knowledge that Jesus was victorious. He has given us these gifts. They're at our disposal. Use them and let him make you usable and experience victory as we work through those trials and troubles, God will bring us through. Jesus' gifts are superior and will make us useful for him. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be reminded that Jesus is the ultimate gift giver, that he has ready for us understanding of his word, peace, joy, and the love that he shows to the Father that he can also show to us and that we can show to others. Help us to be reminded of these things and go in the power of Jesus and the Spirit and be a proper testimony and be useful for him till Jesus returns. And this we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.